with award season heating up, you know, it's time for the Grammys, it's time for the Golden Globes, it's time for the Oscars. I thought this morning would be the perfect opportunity to see how many of us in the room remember a particular picture that went out about this time a few years ago. Take a look at the picture I'm talking about. How many of y'all remember the selfie that broke the internet? Now you remember Ellen DeGeneres was hosting the, the Oscars and she walked out into the audience and it, and it just so happened that Bradley Cooper, the biggest star on the planet, was right there. And he very spontaneously gathered all of his A-list closest celebrity friends and then just, they took a spur of the moment memento that actually went out around the world. Ellen tweeted this picture two minutes after it was taken and it was reposted around the globe three million times. That's a staggering number. And it really, I think, it, this picture is really kind of an era-defining moment. This was, the, this was really the tipping point for the age of the selfie, right? Now, of course, people have been taking pictures of themselves with cameras since cameras were invented. But for us to be able to take our phones, and you have to elevate it like that because that's the best angle. You know that, right? To take that selfie and then be able to post it out and have it travel the world for critique and evaluation and feedback is really one of the defining signposts of the era in which you and I live, this, this era of me, my selfie, and I. And the fact of the matter is, the, the selfie is really not in and of itself a bad thing. I, I don't want us to go all, you know, get off my lawn on social media. Because the fact of the matter is, we have been struggling as a race. We have been struggling for years and years, centuries and millennia with the all too human struggle for self-awareness. All social media did was give a megaphone to how self-aware or self-unaware we actually are. Self-awareness really lies at the heart of this series that we started last week. And I know in here, we, we touched on self-awareness a little bit, but I really believe that in order for us to experience the Christian life, the, a relationship with Jesus Christ lived out that is genuinely good news, we have to come to grips and we have to dig down into this thing called self Awareness. You, you remember the foundational verse that we're using for this series, Morph. The power to change is from Romans chapter 12. It's in Romans chapter 12 that the Bible says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Be, be metamorphosized. Metamorphoste in the original Greek. Be morphed by the renewing of your mind. And we said last week that this happens as we intentionally and deliberately think about what we think about. And it's imperative that we understand how deliberate we have to be. But in order for us to understand that, there has to be a high, high degree of self-awareness. We have to really and truly know ourselves. And this is hard, hard work. Ever since the dawn of human time, our greatest philosophers and artists have been trying to hold up a mirror for us to see ourselves in. It was Shakespeare who said, above all else to thine own self be true. 
Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. And it was Plato who followed up on that and said, know thyself. And these philosophers and artists, of course, are absolutely right because they're actually paraphrasing that God, something that God built into, he hardwired into us at creation. Part of what makes us human, part of what makes us created in the image of God himself is the fact that we, unlike anybody else, have the ability to think about what we think about, including ourselves. Now, self-awareness is is a dicey proposition because it can be a really fine line between self-awareness and self-obsession, being self-absorbed. And that's not the goal here. We're not talking about you know, going up on a mountaintop and navel-gazing and thinking about just how awesome we really are and finding the power within. Because the reality is, if the power really resided only within us, then Jesus never would have died on the cross and risen from the dead. The fact of the matter is, we don't have the capacity ourselves. Julie and I were going through a difficult, difficult time this past week, and not maritally speaking, but just personally, we were weathering the end of the holiday season. And by that, I mean we were putting up our Christmas decorations. Some of you know that, that Julie is all in on Christmas. As you may have heard her say, it's never, there's no such thing as too early or too much when it comes to Christmas decorations. So when the decorations come down, around the middle of January, Valentine's, St. Patrick's Day, whenever they happen to come down. For Julie, it's kind of a traumatic, traumatic experience. And so we were kind of going around the house and, and I, I love it. I, I, get, I get excited because you know, you everything gets cleaned up and you go back to the neat, clean lines like they talk about on HGTV. And I, I love it. And, and Julie, though, is kind of walking around. I'm like, honey, where do you want to put this? I'm like, I don't know. Well, at one point while we were putting up the decorations this week, Julie said, are you hot? And I said, Julie, that's not really for me to say. I mean, you're my wife. I, I, it's, not, it's not appropriate. And she goes, I mean sweating. I go, oh, oh, sweating. Okay, I understand. See, in that particular moment, I had failed at self-awareness. I thought she was like kind of, you know, making moves on me or whatever. And she was just trying to know if I was sweating. Now, the fact of the matter is, your pastor's not alone. We, we all struggle with self-awareness to some degree or another. As a matter of fact, let me show you what I'm talking about. Everybody take out your program that you got when you came in, and I want you to write five things down, just, just down as a list, just kind of in the top left-hand corner. Just write five things down, five categories to judge yourself. Number one, getting along with others getting along with others. Number two, driving ability. Oh, driving ability. Number three, attractiveness. Number four, communication. And number five, modesty. Now for each of those categories, I want you to just write out beside how you would judge yourself above average or below average. And you may want to use a little symbol so your neighbor doesn't know what you're judging yourself, how you're evaluating yourself. 
You may use an asterisk for above and a check for below or whatever. But just for all five of those categories, rate yourself above average or below average. Above average or below average. Here's what's funny. Social scientists tell us that 80, no matter what category you're looking at, 80% of us will rate ourselves above average. I'm not a mathematician, but I can tell you that's a problem. The top 50% doesn't have room for 80% of us. We, We tend to evaluate ourselves more favorably than we actually are. See, self-awareness involves a couple of different components. Number one is our understanding of ourselves, our accuracy, the accuracy of our self-understanding, knowing who we are, why we do what we do, how we do what we do. That's number one. Number two is an accurate perception of other people's perception of us. Now, I said an accurate perception of other people's perception. And most of us view ourselves more or less favorably, no matter what you know, issues we wrestle with or carry around on a daily basis. That's because we judge other people by their actions and we judge ourselves by our intentions. Have you ever noticed that? We we evaluate other people by what they do. Can you believe he said that? Or when we're driving through maybe a nice neighborhood, who needs a house that big? I would never. Well, I don't know. You see, we're judging other people on their actions, but we judge ourselves on our intentions. Well, my heart was in the right place. my, My intentions were good. Yeah, but you were a jerk on the road. We, we have to be careful about this thing called self-awareness. This is a fascinating statistic as well. 95% of college professors put themselves in the top 1% of college professors. <laughs> now, I ain't gonna say, I'm just saying. But they're not alone. Engineers do the same thing. One survey of 13,000 engineers found that they put themselves in the top 70% of all engineers. Now again, the top 30 percentile can't accommodate 90% of all engineers. So we have to come to grips with the fact that we're, we're not particularly great at this thing called self awareness. It's interesting. Romans 12, two says, renew your mind. But look at how it says, look at how it follows that up. Romans 12, three, this is the apostle Paul writing. He says, now by the grace, the grace that was given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Paul is commanding us here, inspired by the Holy Spirit to develop to cultivate self-awareness, to to be aware of of who we really are and how we're perceived by other people. Elsewhere, Paul said, listen, I don't know about you, 
but I've made myself all things to I've made myself all things to all people so that all the more may be saved. Paul was always thinking about how he was perceived, not so people would like him and say, man, Paul's really smart, but so that one more person might come to faith in Christ. That requires self-awareness. You, you have to cultivate that. Now, the bad news is, as a whole, we're not great at it. The good news is, we actually can develop it. We can experience it, but in order to get there, we have to understand why it is that we're not great at it. We have to understand what's actually going on. I want you to look in Jeremiah 17. In Jeremiah 17, verse nine, the Bible says this, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Well, there's a feel-good verse, isn't it? <laughs> now, that's the word of God. And I think what it causes us to do is to kind of step back and go, okay, this is the reality of sin. This is what this is the degree to which sin has infected our lives. It goes to the very core of who we are. That this idea of sin is not just, you know, cussing when somebody cuts you off in traffic or, or being a jerk when you get home. The idea of sin is the fact that we have turned from God, that our hearts are defective. We all have a heart problem. The human heart, and listen, I don't like this verse. When, when I come across the, uh, this passage of scripture, I'm kind of like, Ooh, yeah, let's, let's go back to, for God so loved the world. Let, let's go back to, you know, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me in green pastures. I love that. But this is every bit as true as John 3.16. I wonder this morning, how many of us could remember, like within about a split second, a time when our heart led us astray? A time when we were deceived by our own heart, our own feelings, our emotions. We've all been there. And this is, this is true but, but again, I think in order for us to really own this, we've got to understand it. And let me just tell you, let me give you a spoiler alert. This, this is not the end of the story, okay? This, this is not where we're going to end today. But it's real and we have to go through it. Tasha Yurik is an organizational psychiatrist who spent four years studying self-awareness. And she identified three blind spots that are most prevalent in our lives through researching and studying and surveying thousands of subjects, studying other case studies. And the three blind spots I think are important for us to be aware of in our own lives. The first blind spot that she mentions is knowledge blindness. Knowledge blindness. What this means is we don't know what we don't know. Daniel Kahneman is a Nobel Prize winning economist and psychologist. And he says that human beings possess a unique 
capacity to ignore their own ignorance. Isn't that a great quote? Now, he's not saying we're dumb, per se. What he's saying is we ignore what we don't know. We, we remain sometimes willfully unaware of what we don't know. This is that knowledge blindness. So we, we have to own the fact that there's a lot we don't know. Number two is emotional blindness. Emotion blindness. What this means is not that we're unaware of our emotions. We are unaware of the degree to which they impact the decisions that we make. We, we like to think that we make decisions based on rational, clear, logical thought. After compiling all of the necessary data and evaluating it, then we decided to move into a larger home. Well, that's cool if you did that. But most of us move into the larger home because we like a bigger house. Because it feels better. We like the change in the zip code. We like the square footage. We like the view. And that's fine for us as far as those things go. But, but let's not act like we were making a rational decision. It was an investment. Come on. It's that emotion blindness. And then the third blind spot that Yurik mentions is behavior blindness. Behavior. We, we don't even realize what we've done, much less how it has impacted other people. This, this idea that, that the things that we do actually matter, actually matters. We've got to be aware of what we do. I think a lot of times, particularly in the church, we focus so much on our motives, and rightly so, that we, we forget that our fruit will be evaluated. Faith without works is dead. Boop. You don't want your faith flatlined. So what we do, our, our behavior, the fruits of our labors actually matter. And so these, these areas of blindness can cause us to become so self-unaware that we're detached from the people around us. People at home, people at work. Do not raise your hand. But how many of us work with somebody who's self-unaware? Don't raise your hand. You, you know what that's like. Here's the deal. The rewards of self-awareness are massive. Self-aware people are as a whole happier, make better career choices, are less likely to lie, cheat, and steal, are more effective executives and leaders of companies, and their companies are more profitable. Just, just off the top, those are some worthwhile notions in pursuing self-awareness. I, I think as we think about what we think about in relation to ourselves, we need to remember this, this progression that we all go through. It always begins with our motives. Our motives are where things begin. What, what is it that drives you? Why, why do you get up in the morning? Why do you get up and go? Is it for yourself or is it for the glory of God? Is it for the glory of God and to provide for your family? That's, that's a valid biblical reason. Is it so you can be richer than your neighbor? You may want to reevaluate that. So it starts with our motives. And our motives then give birth to our thoughts. And I'm not talking here about the little stray, rogue, flash thoughts that come across, but the things that we really 
ponder, the things that we really process and, and think about. What are the things that we, we think about in terms of media that we consume? What are the things that we think about in terms of our family? Our motives give birth to our thoughts, and then our thoughts, our thoughts give birth to our words. Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I don't want to upset anybody here, but the fact of the matter is our words matter. How we evaluate the people we surround ourselves with, the people we vote for, all of those things, our words matter. It's an indication of the heart. Jesus said every single time. So it goes our motives, our thoughts, our words, and then our words become our actions. Well, what we actually do, that behavior thing that we were talking about a second ago. And then the actions that we take, the perspectives that we assume, those things give birth to the results of our lives. The results flow out of the actions. So we go motive, we go thought, we go word, we go action, we go results. This is the progression that we need to always be aware of and be thinking about bringing into alignment with God. Now, I've spent a little bit of time here talking about what we don't do well in terms of self-awareness. The good news is God doesn't leave us to our own devices. When I said, read Romans 12, three, I, I kind of held a little bit back. There's, there's more to the story. Romans 12, three, the whole thing says, rather think of yourself with sober judgment, check this out, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So consider yourself within the faith God has given you. So before you get too down on yourself, never forget the fact that God loves you so much that he gave his son, Jesus, for you by name. That's where you begin. Whatever you want to believe about God and how he looks at you, what he thinks about you, understand that it is always rooted in love. Always. So consider yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has given you. Our faith is founded on facts. And the fact is, Jesus Christ came to this earth for you. That's the fact. Jack, Jackie, consider yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has given you. But what about Jeremiah 17, 9? Man, that was like, ugh. The human heart is deceptive above all else. Who knows how bad it is? Look at verse 10 in Jeremiah 17. But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. So God is engaged in helping us cultivate and, and amass self-awareness for the purposes of living in relationship with him for the purposes of glorifying him for his glory and our good. Here, here's the, the, the real takeaway. Self-awareness only follows God-awareness. 
Self-awareness only follows God-awareness. You want to get to know yourself better? Know God better. Spend time with him. Praying. Talk to God. The the Bible says that, that as we get to know Jesus, we get to know wisdom. The knowledge of Christ, to know him personally, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. So if we want to have this thing called self-awareness and not be completely oblivious, it begins with our relationship with God. Self-awareness only follows God-awareness. There's another another thing that we got to make sure that we're working on. Proverbs talk, if you read the book of Proverbs, you can read the book of Proverbs this afternoon. The book of Proverbs over and over and over and over again calls us to self-awareness. But one of the things that it calls us to aids in self-awareness. Proverbs chapter 14, verse three. A fool's proud talk becomes a rod that beats him but the words of the wise keep him safe. Arrogance will end up beating yourself in the head. It's just like, not not a good idea. But humility, see, self-awareness requires humility. Romans 12, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. It's that humility to say, man, I need help. I I know that I don't know what I don't know. That takes humility. I had a roommate in college who's a good friend of mine, and we've remained very close over the years. Have you ever had a friend who loved to talk? I mean, like, I'm talking about a conversation's best friend. Does anybody anybody know anybody like that? If you're married to him, don't raise your hand. I'm just asking. Bill loved to talk. That's how he processed things. And, and it's, not, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I'll never forget a conversation I had with him. He was refereeing football. That's what he, how he earned money through college. And I asked him a question about refereeing. I said, Bill, how long would you have to referee like high school JV and freshman games in order to get, be able to ref like in you know, the Southwest Conference? or the Big 12, or or the NFL. And he launched on this huge, long thing about, well, you know, that's a great question. He said, you probably have to have about 100 games in high school. And then he went into this whole thing for 10 minutes. And he still was going on, and I stopped him. I said, Bill, you can say to me, I don't know. He goes, oh, well, you know, actually, I can't say that because it just hurts my heart to say that I don't know something. So I just talk until I figure something out. <laughs> I was like, hey, Bill, I'm only, I've only got five years of college, so we, we don't have time for you to figure this thing out. Now, that, that, that's kind of a humorous story. We've all been there before. We've all done that. But humility helps us to admit that we don't know what we don't know. Humility is required for self-awareness. There's another thing. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. 
Self-awareness requires genuine connection. I mean, real community. Friends who will tell you what you need to hear and not just what you want to hear. I think about the, the men of Lake Hills Church. Whenever, yeah, amen. Whenever, whenever a guy becomes a new believer in Christ and I have the opportunity to talk to them, they're like, well, what do I do now? I'm like, man, you, you need to get into a men's Bible study. Our men's Bible studies are off the hook. They're unbelievable. We've got more men in Bible study than we do women in Bible study. That's not a reflection on the women. That, but I'm telling you, that's the reverse of what's true in most churches. This is a good thing. This is a healthy thing. We, we love everybody, male and female. But for the men, it, it's those, those early morning Bible studies that meet in restaurants around town. Where the, It's not just the Bible study. It's not just the knowledge that they get, but it's the relationships that are formed therein. It's those friendships that happen where they develop relationships with other guys who will shoot them straight. Women are doing the same thing in their groups, fearless mom. It's those, it's those connections. Iron sharpening iron It is part of the miracle and the mystery and the gift that is the church, the, the body, the family of faith. You see, self-awareness requires genuine connections, real interactivity at a soul deep level. Now, let me just say this. If you go to one of our Bible studies or our, our connect groups or our fearless mom, man, get to know people before sharing your life story. Don't, you know, kind of take some time to get to know and build relationships that then can support the weight of real accountability, real truth-telling. But self-awareness requires these things. We, we need other people. Julie pointed this out to me years and years ago. She said, you know, you're really, really fortunate to have a daughter. I said, well, yeah, I agree. She said, no, you don't, you don't understand. She said, boys don't tell you when you're acting like an idiot. <laughs> Daughters will tell you, dad, you're an idiot in all respect. And I thought about it for a second. I thought, she's exactly right. Man, the number of times that Emily has said to me, she goes, Dad, with all due respect, you should not wear that. <laughs> Just as an example, I'm like, Joseph didn't even know that I was in the room, much less what I was wearing. See, that, that's, that's one of those real connections. We, we, we need each other for that time. I told you the end of the holidays is kind of a, you know, a little bit of a tough time around our house. Well, the end of the holidays taught me something this year that has radically morphed the way I think about sin. I was taking Joe to the airport. He was going back to Clemson for his final semester of college. And we'd had a phenomenal holiday, great time. Joe had had a great time, slept in, saw friends, ate food, Clemson won another natty. I mean, just, you know, like clockwork. But even six years into this college parenting thing, 
I still hate taking my kids to the airport. I hate it when they leave and go back. Joseph's, you know, 22-year-old man, getting ready to graduate college, buy his own food. It's very exciting. But as we pulled up to the, to the gate, I got out of the truck and I was helping him get his bag situated so he could get, you know, checked in and, and all that kind of stuff. And I just, I, was, I got emotional again. It just happened. Sue me. I hugged him. I was like, man, I, I love you, Hoss. Have a great trip. And, and I, I was, I was, I turned to walk away and go get back in my truck. And as I'm getting back in my truck, I close the door and I put my sunglasses on. I'm not crying, you're crying. And, <laughs> and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. That's how God feels when I sin. You see, it's not just that, that God hates sin. He does. But it's not that God enjoys hating sin. God hates sin because he sees my sin or your sin as us turning away from him. Joseph was going back to college. That's a good thing. He passed. He gets to go back. But he, he still was turning away from me. He was leaving me. Now, in this context, that's a healthy and a good thing, and it still hurts. But when I sin or when you sin, God sees us turning away from him, turning away from life, turning away from love, turning away from truth, turning away from wisdom. He sees that and it breaks his heart. It's why the Bible says that our sin grieves the Holy Spirit of God. Did you know that God grieves? And so I, I, I think that that, that he grieves, he grieves because he misses us. And, and he grieves because there's, there's space where he desires intimacy. He grieves because there's confusion where he desires clarity. He grieves because there's loss when he desires abundance. He grieves because we've turned away for reasons that are not healthy and good. You see, this is the ultimate morphing of me, my selfie, and I. It's, it's great if we're more self-aware and we get better as parents or in our job or at school. That's awesome. But ultimately, the gospel of Jesus Christ requires an awareness of the cost of sin an awareness that we have turned away from the God who created us. And he's inviting us back home. He invites us to come back. I don't know where you are today. You, you may have come to a, an awareness of that need in your life, but maybe you didn't. Maybe, maybe You've kind of kept at arm's length your own awareness of the cost of sin in your life. The reality is that God's calling you back. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, either way, Christ's love controls us. His love controls us. It's not just the rules. It's not just the letter of the law. 
It's the love. That's what controls us. And he calls us back into it. I want to ask you to bow your heads for a brief moment, if you would. If you're here today and you've never responded to that call, then we want to ask you and give you the opportunity to do so right now. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, for nobody to be moving around and creating a distraction for what God's doing in somebody's life right now. It's too important. But if you want to step into that relationship, then we invite you to pray right where you're sitting. A prayer of beginning, a prayer of commitment. Just silently talk to God and say this in your own words. Just silently say, Jesus, I need you. I want to come home to you. I want to turn to you with everything I have. I confess my sin, all of it, and I claim your forgiveness. And Jesus, I ask, I pray that your love would control me. And I will follow you from this moment forward with everything I have. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for a second. But if that was your prayer, as a church, we want to help. We want to help with what's next. So, I want to ask you to do two things just right now. First of all, if that was your prayer of coming home and turning back to God, I want to ask you, if you will, just right where you're sitting right now, just start filling out the Connect card that's in your program. Just fill it out and indicate there, there's a place about halfway down that says, I committed my life to Christ this week. And once you fill that out, tear it at the perforation there along the fold. And as you leave, when we dismiss in just a second, you can hand it to one of our ushers or you saw as you walked in under the big porch out here, the hub. That's a great place for you to just let us know how we can help. Or if you just committed your life to Christ, let us know that that happened. And then second of all, once you've completed that, as our heads are bowed, I want to just ask you if you would, if that was your prayer, would you just raise your hand quietly but unmistakably? Just lift it high over your head and hold it there for just a second as a statement of faith. A statement in your life, a statement in the life of this church. Because that decision, that moment is the lifeblood of who we are as a church. And so as a family, as a church, as you put your hands down, we're gonna put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.